Police say they are only beginning their investigation into the two decomposing bodies discovered across the street from each other this week. She says the attacker cut Megan's hair, but her daughter couldn't see who it was. Lynn Patterson was last seen leaving her home here on East 9th Street a year ago today. Tonight, a special edition of our program examines Robeson County, a place where poverty, distrust, and violence have become a public issue. Welcome to Darkwater, an investigative podcast hosted by me, Brett Andrews. And me, Nick Andrews. Hey, you're back with Brett. And Nick. So we've been covering a series of deaths and disappearances in Lumberton, North Carolina, a place where, as stereotypical as this might sound, truth does seem to be proving stranger than fiction. If you haven't yet, go back and check out the episodes one through four to make sense of what we talk about today. There's far too much to recap at this point, and we know this is a complicated story, and we're trying to narrate as accurately as possible. So thanks to the listeners that are hanging in there. I hope we can continue to illuminate these events for you in an understandable way. And if you have questions, don't hesitate to write in or call and leave a message. So this past Saturday, we met in Lumberton to cover a march put together by Shatter the Silence, a nonprofit group raising awareness about the murdered and missing in Robinson County, North Carolina, people that lack justice for one reason or another. The group is led by Sheila Jones and Sherlyn Whitaker the mother and the sister of one of the victims, Rhonda Jones. And there's also other locals running the group. We met up with them in Luther Britt Park, where they're setting up for the post-March cookout. So as we took exit 17 off I-95 to meet them, there's this red, white, and blue water tower that you can't miss, and it's reading from Ona High, Lumberton, an all-American city. And I just couldn't help but pause while considering the juxtaposition of that message in the sky and what's happening on the ground there. Then again, maybe if you're a more cynical listener, you might think it fits perfectly. Is Lumberton like an example of America's impoverished id, our most primitive state running wild with this sense of horrific freedom, I guess? More and more, there seems to be an almost hyperbolic caseload of terrible crimes, negligence, and more than the occasional amount of corruption there. For Nick, at least, I know the water tower represents frustration since it was too close to an airport and no one would clear our request to fly the drone to capture some documentary footage. Twice. It was such a pristine day at the park, it was easy to forget, for at least the moment, why we were there. There were kids playing, there's ducks waddling around, and marchers were showing up to deliver food ahead of time, cutting up and hanging out. All seemed well. But our topic of conversation snapped us back into reality, shortly after seeing a truck arrive adorned with Rhonda's face and a message asking for justice. We asked Sheila and Sherlyn two questions as they were busy setting up for the march and the cookout after. First question was, what did they hope the march would achieve? Second question, what were their feelings on the news about the sexual assault evidence kits for Kristen, Rhonda, and Megan? 
first delivered by Russ Bowen of CBS 17. The mother of Rhonda Jones, one of three Lumberton women found dead around the same time back in 2017, is speaking out tonight after learning rape kits done on the women sat in the police department for nearly two years. Here's what Sheila and Sherwin had to say right before the march. Right. And Sheila, I know it's been about a year since we caught up almost, and I know you got to run, so just had two quick questions for you. First one was, what message do you hope the march sends today? Awareness to the unsolved murders here in Robinson County. Not just Rondos, but... No, not, not just Rondos. I have so many families just like myself. And we all want, want justice. I mean, that's just as simple as I can put it. And the next question is, did you have anything you wanted to say about the news that the sexual assault kits were held for well over a year? It was wrong. It was unfair to Rhonda and Christina and Megan. They should should be equal to any other victim in Robinson County, but they weren't, of course. I guess that's what the march is about today. Yes, yeah. it is. Awesome. Law enforcement needs to do better. I mean, I'm upset about it, but I. I can't change that, but we hope to change the way things are here. Right. We don't want to keep you any longer if you got to run. I got the speed. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> I know it's been almost a year since we talked last, so I appreciate you taking some time to catch up with us. I know it's a busy day. Uh, so first, we just wanted to ask you, what message do you hope the march sends today? We asked your mom earlier, and we wanted to hear from you as well. Well, we're hoping that with this march, Robinson County realizes, you know, we need to speak up. We need to speak up for these victims. We need to be their voices because they can't do it. And these victims need justice. And we're hoping that, you know, everybody begins to pull together and Right now, we're, we're getting a thing going. Rise up, Robinson County. It's time for us to speak up. Speaking of rising up, uh, how do you feel about the news that the sexual assault kits were delayed well over a year for submission? I'm mad. I mean, <laughs> I'm mad about it because I feel like if they would have done it when it happened, I mean, it... it who knows, it, it might have prevented whatever happened to Megan, you know? I mean, you know, but that's something we'll never know. But that's something else with this. We hope that, you know, it helps bring change about that too. You know, that things, when it comes to these cases and sexual assault kits and stuff like that, it needs to be done immediately. There, need, there doesn't need to be a time period, especially of 20 months, between, you know, doing these things because they hold answers. No, nope. We the police department hasn't even contacted us to tell us that they were back. We found out from a reporter. Russ. Mm-hmm. Russ
After interviewing Sheila and Sherlin, we drove the three miles back up I-95 North to the March's meetup point, a Rosa's Discount store parking lot. As soon as Nick and I got out of the car, I sought out Lumberton Police Chief Michael McNeil to find out what he hoped to achieve by supporting the march, because he helped lead it, in fact, on foot, rather than riding in a car or just showing up before it started. While many people have criticized him for inaction and contradictions in his statements, ideas we've reported on as well, he was the only law enforcement leadership figure at the march, other than other department members assisting him. And to be honest, at least outwardly, people marching seemed to appreciate his presence. I had to approach him while he was surrounded by officers and their cruisers, so it was a little awkward, but eventually I was able to get a word in. And while I'd love to ask him more soon, here's what he had to say with the time available. Excuse me, we're uh, covering the march today, and we were just curious if you guys had any comments on what you hope to achieve out here supporting the march today for Shattered the Silence. Okay. Chief here. All right. Hey, it's awesome that you came out to support the march yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to okay. support them because our biggest thing is to get awareness out. We're trying yeah. to get awareness out that, you know, these crimes have occurred. And we're hoping it's going to jog somebody's memory so somebody will come up and tell us something. Because right now during the investigation, we are at a standstill. And we don't have anything that we need to go on right now. Uh, but we're hoping that by people listening to this here and seeing it on the news and seeing it in the paper and this march going down and the prayers that we're going to have at the police station, we're hoping it's going to jog somebody's memory and let, us, let these, the, you know, the fallen people, the people that are deceased, let them know and let their families know that we hadn't forgot them. We're still working on this thing and we want some answers to it. We want some answers to some of the questions that everybody's got, just like we have too. So hopefully it'll spark someone maybe that hasn't been speaking up prior yeah, to and, step you know, up. And, and that we know. We know that somebody knows something, but they don't. They hadn't come forward. But hopefully by doing these kind of marches and keeping it out here, somebody will come up and tell us something of what happened to them. I hope so as well. Yeah, we yeah. pray that they will. We pray that they will. Well, sure. thank you so much for speaking yes. with us today. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you, sir. Next, while waiting for the march to reach the station, we spoke with Brianna Fernandez of WBTW News 13 from Florence, South Carolina, about her work covering the march and recent cases in Robeson County, including Hanya Aguilar. You can see video of the march on her Facebook page. Here's our interview with her. So I started in July, and I was actually very involved in the Hanya Aguilar case. And to me, that's it's shocking that all the DNA testing, all the rape kids, you know, go missing in a department. So when I see all these people just marching for some, their loved ones, you know, that still they have no word where they are, if they're alive or not, it's, it's pretty sad, you know, especially in, a lumber, in the Robinson County community. So I know everyone's really tight together. But yeah, I mean, situations like this happen a lot and I think the department needs to step it up. After we spoke with Brianna, the march started approaching the police station. It was a humbling experience, to say the least, to attend the march. It was really tough seeing all the pain, all the victims, friends and families live through every day and seeing all the homemade signs of their loved ones and just people just hugging each other and embracing each other and coming together 
And it, it just really hit close to home because it's literally in our backyard and all these people are going through some of the worst pains imaginable and having people they love just either being killed or just disappearing. We encountered one man who had been shot in the head and left in a staged suicide that wasn't successful. A piece of his forehead was clearly missing. Apparently he wrote down the name of who shot him over three years ago, delivered it to lumber to police detectives, and or wrote it in front of them, as I understand it, and hasn't heard anything since. His barely audible voice was a haunting symbol for the silence surrounding his case and others. Another family was marching for a young woman shot to death and left in the canal. Others didn't even have the comfort of knowing what happened to their disappeared loved ones. No proper closure. And you can see it on their faces. And the stories go on and on from the march. It's horrible. It will take an entire separate podcast just to tell you about all of them. There are dozens outside the cases that we're covering, if not hundreds. And as far as the specific cases Nick and I have been following, while at the march I wondered if the people needing to speak up that Chief McNeil mentioned would come forward. Could some of them have actually been at the march, or at least nearby watching, feeling guilty, or maybe satisfied with the pain they've caused? I wondered if the department would be stepping it up somehow, like Brianna from News 13 said. Not just leading the march, but getting leads on these cases, particularly the cases of Kristen, Rhonda, Megan, Cynthia, and Abby. The five people and the five reasons Nick and I crossed paths with this community last May. So the big recap questions for this episode, will the group leading the march get the traction with the police and those out there with the answers they need? Will the group achieve their namesake and truly shatter the silence in Robeson County for at least some of the victims they've marched for? Yeah, because as inspiring and as powerful as the march was, it's got to spark something that leads to us finding out what happened on the east side of Lumberton in 2017 that led to three women dead and two missing from a lonely stretch of just a few city blocks. We've heard a lot of theories, some from separate sources that seem to be aligning, but honestly, it still all adds up to circumstantial evidence or, you know, probably even just hearsay, unless someone is actually going to step up and say something to someone in law enforcement. We heard it from Shelley Lynch from the FBI. We heard it from the anonymous caller last episode. There are people that know things that aren't saying them. So I hope the march sends that message. We'll be back to you in a couple weeks as usual. But the next episode, we'll be going back in time. 16 years ago in Lumberton to the year 2003. But you might find what you hear to be eerily similar to the cases we've covered before. In particular, we'll be talking about Michelle Driggers and Lisa Harden. Two women who share some similar traits to people we've discussed prior that were murdered brutally just months apart. And then we'll eventually speak on some of the weirder crimes we've researched in Lumberton. Two grave desecrations, one of which was investigated by the FBI for undisclosed reasons. We'll finally get to a place where, depending on your mindset, you might go down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, or just given to the fact that we've painted an intriguing but enigmatic portrait. Maybe one that can't really be solved. Uh, The canvas of Robeson County at large. What crimes are related 
perhaps even the work of a serial predator or a group of predators. Which crimes are simply individual acts, stemming from the likelihood of experiencing violence in the area? We'll present the facts to you for you to decide. And if you're wondering what the conclusion of the season will be, we're still sifting through that decision ourselves. AKA, we don't know. I think we're getting close though, maybe. Yeah, I think we are too. Honestly, I hope there are maybe some positive updates we have to cover soon, especially concerning the theory discussed in the last two episodes. Um, maybe some developments on that, but otherwise we'll just be telling the story as we have it planned. And we've been getting some submissions and phone calls from various people the past couple weeks. And just please keep submitting everything you got, any questions or theories you may have, or any tips you may have, send it to our email or give us a call. And you can remain anonymous. Yeah, because eventually we're going to compile all of those when we get a good amount and work on a Q&A episode. And it doesn't actually have to be a question. You could be calling in with a statement or idea about the cases, um, or you could directly ask us something. That's your call. We appreciate the folks that have already written in. You can reach us at our Darkwater hotline, 919-307-9331. That's 919-307-9331. Or email us at darkwaterpod at gmail.com. That's darkwaterpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to. And also, if you don't like the beefs we have, don't leave us a negative review. Not cool. Yeah, write us a well-worded email about our beeps and how they make you feel. And thank you again to Justin from Moonside Sound for always providing us top-quality music for your ears. Definitely. Thank you to him. And by the way, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Darkwater Podcast. I think we mostly interact on Instagram. A little bit on Facebook. But yeah, we're there. All right. Thank you. See ya.